said, why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I am your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week as we talk about being redeemed through the waters of creation. This might be part one of a two-part series, at least. We'll see what we can get through. We've got a lot of material to cover. You know, I've talked about baptism on the show many times before, but I thought, uh, I read an article this week that inspired me, and I thought I would take that opportunity to sort of bring out some of these choice nuggets found in the Old Testament, this prototype to baptism and its different aspects, and then show them in their New Testament perfection and fulfillment. So that's on today's episode. That intro song is Hosanna, but my good friend Dave Moore and the Gloria State. You can find a link to his website along with the show notes for today's episode at my website at www.catholichack.com. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All praise and glory and honor be to you, Almighty God, as we come before you again to praise your holy name, to study your word, to dive deep into your truth that you have revealed through the ages. May it come to rest and live in our hearts. May the Holy Spirit take up his home in us, that we might become light to the world, that we might proclaim your good news, that mankind is both created, born again, renewed, redeemed, and cleansed through the sacrament 
of baptism, that we might enter into the heavenly promised land, that beatific vision with you forever and ever. We pray for those lost in the floodwaters in Japan and everywhere else. We pray for the conversion of sinners, reparation of sins, the souls being purified in purgatory, and the proclamation of the gospel to all the world. We pray for the church and her bishops, priests, and deacons, especially Father Karapi. May they heed the voice of the Lord and go forth to baptize all nations. And we ask St. Joseph to pray for us. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of thy chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I chose thee this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor thee all the days of my life. Therefore I humbly beseech thee to receive me as thy client, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain for me and for all the knowledge and love of the heart of Jesus, finally to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, we have a lot of material to dive through and get through in this very short amount of time, so I'm going to kind of move along here. But the article I, I picked up this last week is an article I've had sitting around for quite some time. It comes from Letter and Spirit, Volume 2, from uh, 2006. It's written by Jean Cardinal Daniel Liu, and it's called The Sacraments and the History of Salvation. I found this to be an excellent article. I loved it. I am a huge typology fan. If I could have my druthers, I'd go to school and get a PhD just in typology. I hope to write a book on the subject in the coming days, years, months, whatever. So uh, I love this topic and I love this article because it brought a lot of this material out. And I'm going to quote from it. Let's get started. Page 204, Cardinal Daniel Luce says, quote, Let us go over these analogies. The first is that of the primordial waters, sanctified by the Spirit, as the Spirit of God, hovering over these waters, raised up the first creation, so the same Spirit, hovering over the baptismal waters, raises up the new creation, effects our rebirth. The Spirit of God is the creative Spirit." Unquote. There are so many good quotable passages from this article that uh, I could spend the whole show just quoting it, but uh, instead I'll refer you to it. I'll post a link to how you can get a copy of this volume of Letter and Spirit on my website at catholichack.com. So in an essence, we're going to be looking at baptism in salvation history. We're going to be looking at several key themes here. The waters of creation. The waters of cleansing and death. The waters of redemption and the waters of life that are flowing. Now let's set the stage. To set the stage, we must first enter into these waters with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we must come to know and understand that when we do that, we are going on a journey through a wilderness. And through these waters, we enter into communion again with our Lord. Let's look at St. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Quote, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Unquote. Notice I emphasized the Spirit blowing, or actually the wind blowing. The same word used there for wind, panuma, is used also to refer to the Spirit in the same passage. So we have a double entendre. It's both Spirit and wind. But this image of the Spirit hovering over the waters, blowing, okay, this is a very crucial image that we must keep into the and keep into the forefront of our minds as we start to read these Old Testament passages. Let's now look at St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Quote, one of the criminals, you know, one that was on his right and his left, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Unquote. Again, paradise, entering into paradise. One of these nuggets that you must keep on the forefront of your mind as we start to look at salvation history. Now, let's dive into the waters of creation. Creation. You know, from we look at going all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, how the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And from this action, from the proclamation of God's very word, we see how life and land come forth. But notice how the Spirit is hovering, it's, mo it's moving, it's blowing over the waters. Again, that very interesting image that St. John gives us of the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Because of time, I'm not going to read all 13, but it's in the show notes because I want you to read all 13. But let's just pick out a few. Verse 1, quote, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Down to verse 10. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, the fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, upon the earth. And it was so. Unquote. So the Spirit hovers over the water, God proclaims, and comes forth land. It's like the waters receded. And then he, he proclaims and life comes forth out of this water of creation. It's a beautiful image. Let's look at now St. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verses 19 through 34. Again, just quoting a few. Verse 1 and 2, quote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So right off the bat, in verses 1 and 2, John gives us the context. 
How are you to interpret his gospel? By putting on the glasses, the goggles of the book of Genesis. That is how you will come to understand more deeply and profoundly the gospel that John gives us. Now let's move down to verse 32 through 34. Quote, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Unquote. So you see this image of the Spirit hovering once again over new waters. And only this time, unlike, unlike other waters that will be parted, it is heaven that is parted. And the Spirit comes down to rest upon Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The new, the, the Word. He's not the new Word. He is the old Word. He is the only Word. But this is a new creation. That's what I wanted to say. So we see the waters of creation and how the, the Spirit is blowing like the wind over this water. This image is very profound. Now, let's move on to the waters of cleansing. Cleansing, we see here in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis with Noah, how sinful man is washed away. How this water, once again, covers the earth. It's like a going backwards. Back when the earth was void and had no form, okay, and then life came forth and earth came forth, now we see in Noah's day it going backwards, back to void and without form. And man enters into this murky depth of water, into death itself, but coming forth out of this water is righteousness. Man comes out righteous, and a dove hovers, hovers once again as the waters recede. And the wind blows. It's a beautiful image. But we, here we have to keep John chapter 3, that wind, that panuma blowing in mind as we look at the book of Genesis. And we see again how a man is placed on a mountain and a new covenant is made between God and man and a vineyard is planted, kind of like a garden once again. So we have a new Adam and a new creation right here in the book of Genesis, chapter 7, verses 6 through 24. Again, I'm going to pick and choose, starting in verse 10, quote, And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the sixth hundred year of Noah's life, in the second month, and on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day all fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Down to verse 17. Quote, the flood continued forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the, on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. Down to verse 23. He blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the air. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days." Unquote. So God sends forth a great Talmud, a flood once again, to wipe out sinful man, to cleanse mankind of its sins. 
And coming out of this water is a new man, a righteous man, as we said. But we see again the Spirit and that wind blowing receding the waters. Once again, earth comes out of that water. Once again, man is set on a mountain in a garden. Once again, a covenant is struck. But look, Genesis 8, chapter 1 through 4, we see that precise language. Quote, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of that month, the ark came to rest upon the mountains of Ararat. So man is placed once again in a mountain, or on a mountain rather. Now let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. I'm going to read just verses 20 and 22. Quote, uh, no, I better back up to verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, During the building of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him." So baptism is the proper understanding of Genesis chapter 7 and 8. We see that sinful man is cleansed through the water. That is the prototype in the Old Testament that comes to its New Testament perfection in the sacrament of baptism when Christ gave us this sacrament by himself entering into the deep and coming out on the other side, right? Now let's look at the waters of redemption. Redemption. God's firstborn is saved through water. Remember when the people of Israel were in slavery for 430 years in Egypt, and God sent Moses to go and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, right? For what did he say? He said that the people of Israel were God's firstborn. And we see the plagues, the last of which is the plague of the firstborn. And so we have the Passover meal. And the angel of death comes over and he passes up all the doorposts with the blood of the lamb marked on the doorposts. And he goes and he takes the firstborn of every man and beast that doesn't have that blood, right? So we see God's firstborn is saved. They're brought out of, the, of Egypt, but Pharaoh doesn't, uh, doesn't let it go that easy. No, he turns his hard heart back towards the people of God, and he pursues them in the wilderness. He pursues them in the desert. He pursues them to try to destroy them. Okay, So here we see sinful man, Pharaoh, chasing Israel to destroy him. And God causes another wind to blow, and the waters are parted right? And Israel crosses on dry ground, but sinful man is again washed away in the waters. Notice these elements, the wind blowing, 
the waters moving or parting, right? So let's look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 9 through 31. Again, picking and choosing, quote, uh, starting in verse 10, quote, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they were in great fear. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be still. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go on dry ground through the sea. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down upon the host of the Egyptians, and discomfited the host of the Egyptians, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove easily, or they drove heavily, rather. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its wonted flow. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord routed the Egyptians in the midst of the sea." And the people go on to praise God. They they realize that God has redeemed them. He has saved them through this water. But notice the elements, the wind over the water, hovering, blowing, and the water parting, right? And the people crossing on dry ground. But the, the sinful man is swallowed up in that water, okay? So the people of God are redeemed through this water. Now, Let's look at St. Paul in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 9. Verse 3, quote, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see St. Paul using the same image from the, from the Old Testament the image of the people crossing through this Red Sea. That is our image that is a prototype that becomes a reality, a perfection in baptism, that we too enter into the water. Only it is our sin that dies there, that when we come up out of it, we are cleansed and righteous like Noah, right? So we see how water is creative, it's cleansing, and it's redeeming us just like the people of God in the Old Testament. Verse 5 of Romans 6, For we have been united with him in death, like in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, unquote, let's look at the living water. 
the water that flows, living water. We look at Genesis 2 and we see how man is placed in a garden with flowing rivers of water. It's one water, one river that becomes four. We see how Adam, man, is in communion with God. He's serving as priest and prophet and king. And we see there the image, the prototype of the Eucharist, the tree of life there in his midst. We also see in Israel, in communion with God, in the wilderness, is supplied with living water. That we see that how our Lord is standing on a rock that is struck and from whose side flows this living water, right? This beautiful image. Let's start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Quote, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Unquote. Now, we've talked about that many, many times on the show. The, the, the Hebrew words Abudah and Shamar in verse 15 there are referring to Adam being a priest. Okay, we can look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, and so to see how Adam is a king. He has dominion, right? So we see all these images. We've talked about them many times on the show. Uh, but so we see in Genesis 2 how there is a man in a communion with God, and that, that communion is described as a garden paradise, right? Paradise. Let's not forget that. Now let's look at Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to start in verse 3. Quote, But the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the rod with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Harob, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come up out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel." Unquote. I love the image of the Lord standing on that rock. Who does the Lord stand on? And what rock is that today? That is our Lord standing upon the foundation stone of St. Peter, the church, right? Isn't that a beautiful Old Testament prototype in its fulfillment coming out in Matthew 16? I love it. But we can also understand that rock to be our Lord because it was that rock that was struck And from it came living water that gave life to the people of Israel in the wilderness. Well, you and I are the new people of Israel, and we are in the the wilderness right now, on our journey. And what living water do we have? But the water that comes from that rock, the side of Christ, right? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. St. Paul says, starting in verse 4, quote, And all drank the same supernatural drink. For they drank from the supernatural rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things are warnings for us, not to desire evil as they did, not to be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, 
and rose up to dance, unquote. St. Paul sees in this image of this rock giving forth living water as an image that came to its perfection in Christ Jesus. But it's even more real than the Old Testament type, right? Let's look at Jeremiah 2.13, quote, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water, unquote. I don't have enough time left, but read St. John chapter 4, verses 9 through 16. That's the woman at the well. And our Lord said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, to, to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That woman was pulling from a, a cistern that was imperfect, that was limited, that did not bring forth living water, like Jeremiah 2.13. But Christ is there to reconcile the people of Israel, to bring back the ten lost tribes and unite them with Judah, right? And to give them the new living water that we read about in St. John's Gospel, that we read in chapter 19, verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. How beautiful an image is that? That from the side comes living water. That is baptism. Christ is the new creation. Christ brings forth the new exodus. He is the new rock, building that rock on St. Peter, his bride, the church. And we must go through that water into the depth to come out clean that we might enter once again into paradise. Because where Christ is, there is the garden, there is the paradise, but most importantly, there is his church. May God bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Based on digital.